Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to let you know that I have a book that is not just newish, it's actually brand new. It's a novel called Lump, and it's published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. It's my third novel. I've read it, and it's good. If you'd rather not take my word for it, the Toronto Star is called Lump one of the must-read, hands-down best books of 2023 so far. You can find out more about Lump at nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Carrie Fagan. Carrie is the author of many novels and collections of short stories. He has won the Toronto Book Award and the Canadian Jewish Book Award for Fiction and has been nominated for the Scotiabank Giller Prize, the Writers Trust Fiction Award, and the Governor General's Literary Award for Fiction. He is also an acclaimed writer of books for children, having won the Marilyn Bailey Picture Book Award, the IOD Gene Throop Book Award, a Mr. Christie Silver Medal, the Vicki Metcalf Award for Literature for Young People, and the Joan Betty Stuckner Oy Vey Funniest Children's Book Award. That's the actual name of the award. I'm not editorializing. Carrie's most recent books are Boney, a picture book for children published in 2022 by Groundwood Books, and The Animals, a novel also published in 2022 by Bookhug Press. The Vancouver Sun called The Animals funny, provocative, magical, and warmly engaging. Publishers Weekly, in a starred review of Boney, called it a poetic volume that raises keen questions about ephemerality, connection, and regard across the natural world. Carrie and I talk about his dual role as a writer for children and a writer for adults, about how his feelings about his own career have shifted over the years, including a period in which he contemplated giving up writing for adults altogether, about the chapbook press he runs with Bernard Kelly and his wife, Rebecca Comey, and why he feels publishing chapbooks is maybe something a lot of writers ought to do. So you had two books come out within weeks of each other, if not one week of each other last last October. Is that correct? Boney and the animals were were very close together. I think you're right. I think they were actually day, maybe a day apart. Or maybe something. days apart. Yeah. The fact that you're a little unclear on the exact <laughs> updates for those two is actually something I want to come back to in terms of like how you feel coming up to a pub date and how you feel shortly after how you process that process that in your in your memory having published a lot of books but in terms of those two books did the process of those two ever conflict or were they very cleanly kept apart no they were kept apart I, I, they had nothing to do with each other really one it's a kids book one's an adult book they're such weirdly they're just such separate worlds in publishing um and promotion when i have a, a problem sometimes it's because um i may have more than one kid's book coming out or i may have like a, a picture book with with one publisher and a picture book with another publisher and what happens is somebody delays and then they both want to bring them out the same season but they don't like that so I, I sometimes have a conflict, but I'm not really not in control of it. And sometimes I'll have a few books come out in a year, and then the next year I'll just have 
I'll have none or one book come out. It'll it's I, I I prefer things to be more balanced, but it's really has to do with publishing schedules. And it's more an issue for my kids writing because I do publish more more books for kids and have more than one publisher. So it's not really a problem for my adult books. Boney and the animals, there are some minor thematic connections. There's some sort of human world versus natural world, animals, wildness. Are you sort of encountering this in your imagination that you want to kind of go like run through the woods or is this just <laughs> another another sheer coincidence? I, you know, at some point I noticed that too. It's not something I noticed at first at all. And then I realized, um, yeah, there, there was. They both in some ways have humans thinking about their relationship with the natural world and i don't as far as i know it's a coincidence of timing in terms of the books coming out but certainly me thinking about particularly our relationships to animals animals wild and animals domestic or i guess the last few years i've been have been thinking about that the process of writing a picture book and the and the way a picture book, the origin of a picture book, it's so different from a novel that it's really feels like it comes from another planet almost. So mm-hmm. it's something that I could have ever seen, but there definitely it, it is interesting that there is there's something going on there for sure. I mean, you grew up in the suburbs of Toronto, sort of close close suburbs, inner suburbs of Toronto. Yeah. And now, now you live downtownish. Now, yes. Now, now we live. I've ever since I graduated from university, I've lived downtown. So I'm, I'm a city boy. Yeah. We, yeah, but we do spend time in the in the country, especially in the, whenever we can. We like in the woods and hiking and stuff. So I'm not. I you know I I admit to make no special claim. If most of us in this country like to get out into the woods and and get out of the city so um but i guess it was something i was thinking about too i had a lot of pets as a kid my kids okay. had a lot of pets my daughter had always wanted a dog and we didn't she didn't have a dog she had a lot of stuffed dogs <laughs> that kind of held her off for a while <laughs> Now she's on her second lovely beagle. So now my kids are out. So, um, so I, I had, I, I was thinking a lot about what they mean to us, what we expect from them, how we kind of excessively humanize them. And also probably I was thinking about it lately and maybe, I don't know, there seems to be, seem to be a lot more dogs around. And as I'm sure Nathan, you've noticed a lot more people carrying dogs in you know like the way they'd carry a baby in a in a baby bjorn or or exactly or pushing a stroller or something this uh, there's a it seems to me there's also an increasing infantilization of animals for the pleasure of of humans so there's a lot of great you know dog owners out there um but but there's also this other side and um which i guess i was thinking about um partly what i was thinking about when i wrote that novel and what it is we 
need and think we need from animals and how animals respond and maybe we'll one day rebel <laughs> thinking <laughs> i mean my, the animals is about is about wild animals not domestic but um still it it was you know wild animals that are kind of made domestic so all those ideas were floating around in my head obviously these dogs can play enormous emotional parts in people's lives and i don't denigrate that in 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 any way um I, but I do sometimes, you know, yeah, I do sometimes question what our attitudes are and what and how we treat them and what mm-hmm. we expect. Obviously, they've been bred for millions of years to be domestic animals. They read our emotions. They're incredibly good at being the thing we want them to be. But there's mm-hmm. still some wildness in there that needs to be respected, I think. Yeah. Again, you're a very urban person. You're a very urban writer. And I've read that you like to write in like cafes with noise and people. That's true. So I sort of wonder when you are out, out in the wilderness and doing those nature hikes, do you have a limit? Do you get to about day five and you're like, I need grids. I need traffic lights and I need crowds of other people that I don't know. I think I'm changing I'm getting older and I think I like being out of the city more as as I get older, which seems to be a common pattern. So I definitely need both. I wouldn't want to just be um, in the country, but um, or up north. Um, but I I'm very easy at being solitary or just spending time with family or just spending time with my wife. I you know, I'm I have a slight, slightly antisocial, probably. So I I'm um, I enjoy just doing things on my own, and I and I, there, I have a lot of interests that I can take up with me when I go somewhere. So I don't I don't miss it, and also I I like I think I can I can write sort of anywhere. I do like writing in cafes. And if I'm, I have written some books where the entire book was written in a cafe. Like really, my, yeah, my story collection, the old world, was made up of very short stories, uh, all written, made a couple written on a plane. But um, and then if I get in the where I'm going every after, it's usually the afternoon. Every afternoon to write, then it becomes a thing where I have to in order to write, work on that book, and I. And um, I don't like that feeling that I can't write it unless I go to the cafe to write. So I sometimes work to break out of it and and just and work at home. And um, uh, so I can do that. And also we tend to take holidays that are work holidays, Rebecca and mm-hmm. I. So like we've gone up to north of Lake Superior in a cabin where we would both write in the morning and um and then we go hike in the afternoon and get bitten to death by mosquitoes um and so we tend to do that whether wherever we go we often spend some time every day working and so you know if it's a cabin or a little apartment somewhere i you know i'm i'm usually pretty good at um, adapting Mm-hmm. Do you find I, do you find even in do you find even in retrospect that maybe your 
style changes at all, depending on if you've written it sitting at a table surrounded by people having conversations, or if you're at a cabin knowing you have complete isolation. Do you have any sense that maybe your subconscious is taking in the fact that you're doing this publicly or you're doing this in complete isolation? Interesting. Not that I'm aware of. It's an interesting question that I wouldn't mind thinking about a little bit, but not, not that I'm aware of. I mean, one of the things I like about working in a cafe when you're in Toronto, there's a, we're, there are a lot of cafes here. I'm, in fact, I'm going to go and work after we have our conversation. And I like it because I actually can work without distraction better than at home, which is not, again, I'm sure that must be true of other people, that the kind of, you know, I can look up and see someone new come in and look down again. And it's, and I've had like this moment break, whereas at home, I might get up and go downstairs and make myself a foot long sandwich or something. So, <laughs> um, yeah, or get on the internet and, you know, or something. So I find that I just, I actually can concentrate better and for longer often in a cafe. So um, it's, um, I don't know what the question was and I've lost it. <laughs> um, it was whether you feel any sense, anything shifts yeah. in terms of your writing. Cause you did mention you wrote a collection of short stories, almost yeah. entirely cafe. I don't think so. I think, um, I think partly it's time like that. That's, the old world is made, happens to be made up of stories that I, all of which I wrote in a single sitting. So it, it somewhat got defined by the amount of time that I could sit in the cafe. I mean, there, I know there are people who sit for three hours in cafes, but I can't do that. I probably, mm -hmm. you know, have an hour and slightly more is my, my limit that I can do it. So um, that kind of, in some degree, helped to define the length of the stories um but otherwise i don't think so because some of you know i the novel that i am working on now i wrote a lot of it in a cafe but i've also written a bunch of it at home uh as well so and i i'm not feeling any difference you mentioned you have that you have sort of anti-social tendencies but i i don't see the any contradiction between having a a, a tendency towards wanting to be isolated or wanting to just be with your family or your wife and also enjoying being in a city and being surrounded by people. Cause I almost feel like, like you say, if you see people around you, that sort of takes up, gives you a certain social, you know, nutrition. <laughs> right. But if you were out in a cabin looking out over just an empty forest, you'd be like, I need to see some squirrels or something. I need to see some activity to, to fill my brain. And then I can get back to my, to myself. What I, what I do get is a bit claustrophobic sometimes, and um, which is that if you're really in the Canadian Shield forest, um, I I I really love being in farm country, which is more open, or the East Coast, like Nova Scotia, where it's not as dense, where you can mm -hmm. see a lot of sky. Or I love Saskatchewan for that reason. Um, I get a little more a little snaky when I'm in a in dense cabins and dense forest and <laughs> I like sometimes run out screaming <laughs> there is there is a thing if you're in those kind of and I grew up on the in the Ottawa Valley and in, in exactly that kind of uh, uh terrain where you can only see about five feet around you if you're at a campsite or at a cabin or something 
and in the middle of the night you'll just hear these sounds that sound <laughs> like human screaming and <laughs> you know it's a bird or an animal or but it's off there somewhere and it could be five feet away it could be a hundred feet away it could be a mile away but i i agree that there's moments where you're like there's just a curtain a curtain around you and everything beyond it is is mystery and possibly threatening <laughs> yeah yeah i i hope not I, I yeah you do hear that we were just came from from being up north and there was a strange screaming sound that i have not yet identified in terms of your process you're sort of a classic kind of writerly archetype of notebooks and then i don't know if you still do it but you, at one point you were doing handwritten first drafts or handwritten drafts and then and then type out you outline you you kind of have a sense of where a to b or have you changed it up for different books yeah i've definitely changed it up and it really depends on the book sometimes i just don't feel like having an outline and i feel a sense of confidence and i just start and other times the animals i actually had uh a really good outline for. I got the idea of we were spending some time in New York where my wife was teaching and I, that's where I got the idea for the animals. And I just started, I didn't, sometimes that happens. I didn't know I was starting an outline. I just started making notes and it turned into quite a full outline that almost felt like a proto draft to me. Um, so, so that novel was flowed really when I came to sit down and write it I had I had a very good outline more more often I'll just have like a scene list like I'll at some point I'll just sit down and I'll think of a lot of scenes that I think are going to be in the book and I do that over a period of time and then I put them in some kind of order that seems like the order they're going to be in and I use that as a very imperfect map to um to get me through the first draft um i would probably do i probably do a lot less planning than i used to i used to you know when i first started i do character descriptions and all kind of stuff and i don't i allow myself to carry a lot more in my head i don't write down all the notes all the things that i think about i trust that i will remember things if they're important enough um and I do think it's really important to have freedom when you are writing and not be, you know, anchored to to an outline. So I do think it's use, it's useful to have, but uh, I like to have a very, generally speaking, I, I usually have a very loose one. And mm -hmm. I know what's, you know, I don't know, I know a fair bit of what's going to happen in the novel, but I don't know everything. And I don't know why I'm writing it. I mean, that's something right. that I hope I will figure out along the way. By yeah. the way, I, I do write by hand first drafts, but not all the time. It's just what I feel like. You know, I love getting away from the computer. So sometimes I will um, I, I'll write a lot. A lot of my kids' novels, I would say, I've in all of my picture books, pretty much I write by hand and probably half my my novels my adult novels I, I've but I, I'll, I'll write some on the computer it just depends how much I've been on the computer and and whether I want to get away from it or not do you have any of those sort of writerly superstitions or or um 
you know, where you're attached, it has to be a certain kind of pen. The only thing is that I, I write with fountain pens and I've been writing with fountain okay. pens since I was in high school. My friends and I got into using very cheap Schaefer fountain pens. And I think most of them probably got wise and stopped at some point. But because I'm left-handed, I found I found that the ink flowed better than with a ballpoint because I, you know, um, it just mechanically worked better. So, you know, unless I don't happen to have one around, but I I tend to use a fountain pen and I carry one around. But it's not like people have given me expensive fountain pens, but I don't. I keep them home because they're too expensive to take anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, like I have just a workaday uh, fountain pen that I use, and I usually end up with a line of ink on my hand every day. But um, so my, and my hand gets really tired when I'm writing by hand. So that's something that um, I was just writing a, a story while we were uh, just before we went away for the week, actually. And there were there were times when my the pain in my hand was making it like my brain was moving forward, but my hand wanted was wanting to like go to sleep. So right. that can be an issue occasionally. Yeah. You've also talked about your tendency to work on manuscripts and sometimes put them aside, work on something else, and sometimes years later come back to a manuscript and that happened, and then you find a new way forward with it. What is it that usually stops you? in those in sort of mid manuscript do you get frustrated with them or is it just a point of like i i just literally don't know where where this is going but you trust yourself maybe later you'll find the next the path forward with it yeah i th i think i i think and it hasn't happened recently but i think in the past i've just gotten stuck when i started i spent about 10 years writing book length manuscripts that i couldn't get published so i had this 10 year period that i call the dark ages um, of, you know, f depression and frustration and et cetera. And I, it, one of the manuscripts I wrote was a novel, historical novel set just before the war in Warsaw. And I wrote this novel. And at the time, I had a friend, a good friend, a very intellectual PhD. Um, he was doing his PhD at the time. And I gave, just give him my work to read and we'd go for lunch. And I gave him that book manuscript. And he said that it was a mistake, that I should not have written it, that it's not my kind of, I can't remember exactly, but he wow. said, you know, he really just destroyed it. And it just, you know, really seriously depressed me. I sent it out like once it was turned down and I put it in a drawer for 12 years, I think it was. And partly because I also knew it needed something. I wasn't sure what. And 12 years later, I thought I knew, which was to slash it and make it much shorter. And also it needed a new ending. And I took it out and there was a letter from my friend. And in the letter, he wrote it after our lunch where he said, I've reread the manuscript and I've changed my mind. <laughs> and I have no memory of receiving that. I just blocked. Wow. Out completely. I couldn't believe it. I thought maybe things would have been different if I realized he'd seen this letter. <laughs> and of course, we do tend to, be, you know, like be stung by negative criticism and it sometimes stays more than 
more mm-hmm. than praise. And I think that was one. I just couldn't believe that 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 I had somehow forgotten that he'd written that. <laughs> you have many, many books. I mean, kids' books and adult books, and you've been on multiple award long lists and short lists. You won multiple awards. Now that you're at this point and not back in the decade of you know the dark ages, is all of that stuff just kind of shruggable? Is it icing on the cake? Or are you doing the thing where you're like refreshing Twitter on long list announcement day? You know, like, is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? Are you zen about it at this point? Uh, I'm, I'd say no, probably. Okay. I'm still, you know, I'm still waiting. There's still a bit of the dark ages. Even when it's a a book that I'm sure is not going to get nominated for something, you know, it's hard to give up hoping that some jury will, you know, will drink something <laughs> bad for them and, and they'll put it on the list. So, no, I, I you know, I'm, I I wish that were true. I wish that I just, you know, was really uncaring at this point of those things, but I still care. One, the difference, I think one difference is I think I realize well, this is my career. I don't think it's going to change dramatically. I feel mostly that the glass is half full most of the time. And I I write only the books that I want to write. Mm-hmm. And they get published by these really lovely publishers and lovely people who put all this effort in and produce beautiful books. And they find a readership, which is not as large as I wish it was. But I consider myself very lucky to be have had this career and to be able to continue doing that. So I don't think even if the novel gets nominated or doesn't get nominated, I don't think there's gonna be a huge change in 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 things. I think probably this is, you know, this is where I this is where I am I'm gonna be in the literary world, whatever that right. means. Um, so, but at the same time, I, I do, I, I, I absolutely do. And I, and I look for reviews and, and, and read them. And if it's a new book, um, obviously you're in that situation right now and congratulations. Well, thank you. I'm publishing a new book, which I have read and isn't excellent. And I highly recommend don't, it's not, this- it, it's not a mistake. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> And I was waiting because I have read your two previous novels with great pleasure. So um, thank you. So um, now the pressure's on to do another one. But <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think I do. And and also, you know, there was a time about ten years ago when I I thought maybe I was going to stop writing for adults because my things were going pretty badly. Um, and that miraculously turned around. And I think that I, so having had that period where, you know, it was taking me six, eight, 10 publishers submissions to find a publisher for a novel, and then it would come out and it would get no reviews or a few reviews or mixed reviews. And it was so much work. And meanwhile, I had this children's writing career, which was much more successful. And I know other children's authors that gave up writing for adults because 
you, you know, the secret is that you can actually make more of a living writing for kids. And I love writing for kids, but it has been much more of my living than writing for adults. Um, and so I thought maybe I'd, I'd have to do much less of it. And then, you know, one or two good things happened. And since then, it's it's been mostly a really positive experience. I have a wonderful publisher now, Book Hug. And um, so I'm I'm feeling like I'm I'm in a good place and I just want to stay where I stay here yeah. because I, I you never know. My mom always think at some point the rug will be pulled out. So you you never either either the book, you know, books will just start stop coming to me, ideas will stop coming. There's always that fear. Or or, you know, publishing changes, the audience changes, and and I particularly notice that in kids writing too. Um, so, you know, I, I have a great respect for perseverance and for having a career in any of the arts in over a, the long term. Um, and I think that's what it's sort of about for me at this point. It's just about being able to write the book I'm working on and then being able to write the next book and hopefully having one after that. That's 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 my goal. You said something in an interview um, talking about the animals. Your your thought process or some of the things you were thinking about when you were writing the book were this idea of trying to find a balance between feeling like you're part of a community and not losing your own identity and how that comes up a lot in the books you write. Is that something related to what you were just saying about your sort of place in the writing community, in the book world, where every five, 10 years, the, the ground shifts, the terrain shifts, and you find yourself in a better place, less less good place, and you just have to find where you're at again and reestablish why you're doing this in the first place. I think so. I think it's probably tied up a lot in one's, you know, in my own identity of who I am and how I fit in the society that I do live in and what kind of, you know, being a writer, as you know, is a funny, is a funny sort of thing where you are both inside. I mean, it's a privilege to be a writer and it's a privileged place to have, but at the same time, you're a little bit outside the regular stream of life and, and, you probably your personality was is suited to that. At least I think that's in retrospect, that's probably true for me. And you end up spending a lot of time alone, for example. Um, and so how, when you are doing this thing, which is somewhat out of the mainstream, how do you connect? Uh, um, I think, and I, and I probably, thinking about that has encouraged me to think about my characters and how they do relate to the people, the society around them, the work that they do, uh, feeling part of or alienated from. Um, I'm, I'm not a super autobiographical writer. I prefer to invent, but I know that the core of um, I know that I'm going to say that again because of my, I just got a <laughs> textures on it. I know that, <laughs> I know that the core of my <laughs> have something very personal in them. And then I take that as more the seed that, that I invent from the animals is a particular case where it's, it's an invented country 
and the names are invented. And what happens is extraordinary and unlikely. And it's a little di actually different from, I'd say, the more realist fiction that I usually write. And but it's still addressing many of the same issues that preoccupy me personally. But I find imagined ways to think about these things. For most writers, it, there is this sense of being slightly outside of the mainstream. Things are kind of moving quickly and you step aside and move a little more slowly. Just by the nature of the publishing process, you're, you're on a, like a three or four year cycle as opposed to a three-week cycle. But there are some writers who, for good reasons and bad, want to be a little more active and want to be a little more vocal and a little more visible. And and you actually said recently that how you don't see yourself as that kind of writer. And you mentioned, you know, Mordecai Richler and Timothy Findlay, Margaret Atwood, people who sort of make more, were more prone to making sort of public pronouncements, more, more public writers. And you said, I, I write in a minor key. And that's, those are the kind of books you like the most. Does that also connect to you, how you envision the role of a writer? I think there are lots of different kinds of writers. I don't think there needs to be one kind. And I think there, I think I'm glad we have Margaret Atwoods and Finleys and, uh, but I'm just not that kind of writer. Um, right. and I think, and I like to think that we have, you know, room for, you know, all kinds of writers um, and writers who write um, in major keys and writers. I mean, some of the greatest writers, I think, wrote in what I can call a minor key. Um, you know, I write, for example, one of the things I realized that I I think I do best when I write short novels. So my last two novels, my last novel is about 150 pages. The one before that was under 200 and I know, you know, I think the average reader likes a big book that they can kind of fall into. I love books like that, too. I like all kinds of books. I don't. But um, I really love to write shorter novels and love to read them. And I think that you can focus a little bit maybe more on the language and on subtle effects and I just like to leave a lot out. So, mm -hmm. and of course, every once in a while, you know, uh, a small book wins the Giller and then and gets widely read. And and um, you know, even the Sleeping Car Porter, in a way, is 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 not really a big book. I say that's a small book and and a good book, and um, and then um, becomes part of a larger a larger conversation. I like that note of optimism and and openness because it actually makes me think of another project that you have an ongoing project which is this chapbook press espresso books which anybody I know who has worked in that realm of creating chapbooks whether they are cranky or bubbly or whatever their personality type there is some sort of core optimism behind putting out chapbooks because there's no the reality is chapbooks are not going to win the Giller. They are not going to be an Oprah pick or the front of the table at, at Indigo or whatever. You know, this is grandiose, but there is a kind of act of faith behind it, that these are words that need to be out in the world no matter how you do it. Is that right. aligning at all with your thoughts? Oh, very, very much so, I think. I mean, I've been involved in small press publishing since I was in my 
very early when since I was a university student. And I I started a little magazine because I couldn't get published partly um, <laughs> when in university. And then I helped I published a friend's chapbook. And then I uh, with my then partner, I had a chapbook house called Shaw Street Press. And we did a few. And then um, and now I am part of Espresso Books with Rebecca Comey, my wife, and Bernard Kelly, my our partner, and we've done quite a few, maybe 15, 16. We have one coming out on Saturday. We have the launch. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I do it for a number of reasons. One is, as a writer, it's really lovely to think about somebody else's work sometimes and not your own, not just always thinking about your own work and your own career, but actually doing something that is supporting someone else's work and bringing out something that deserves to be read that's that's one of it one of the things another way another thing is and maybe maybe your podcast is like that it is a way of public having some kind of small public engagement that takes you away from your own small little you know um imaginative life that you you're living in isolation and you know we have to even the thing that was nice about a chapbook house is you have to choose manuscripts and edit and design and have a launch and bring them out, like do everything that a big publisher does, but writ small, like a, what a mouse would do. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and that's really quite fun. Um, and the other thing, which I think goes along with me thinking about being a minor key writer, because I think a lot of the important things are small things. I've always thought that as writers, we when we find our readers one at a time, very quietly, you know, and right now, hopefully there is somebody out there reading our books that we don't know. And maybe, maybe we'll hear from them. Probably we won't hear from them. And, but that's really, um, that magic that happens just between your book and a reader that you don't even know about. I mean, that's kind of a really important part of, I think, how I imagine being a writer is. And I think so for, you know, we produce a chapbook and do 100 copies. I don't have a problem that the audience is naturally very limited, because it's really about whoever finds this chapbook and reads it and is touched in some way or made thoughtful by it I mean it doesn't matter if it's if if it's you know in the dozens um to me and then of course some of that work will get reprinted in in uh you know uh bigger collections eventually which happens so so they'll have a, a larger audience and the third thing is I like making things I just I've always been from from being a kid someone who likes making things and chapbooks are one of the things some some of them we hand bind and uh, you know, and sew them, and and some of them we don't. The printer does it, and um, it's just it seems to me just a really nice thing to have. I think every writer should have their own press. That's my theory, you know, every writer. And damn it, you can always bring something out. What happened next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. 
please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.